calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to Blood is Red, volume one of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Blood is Red is also available as an ebook and an unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash blood is red. Howdy, junkie. You feel that nip in the air? Winter might not be coming yet, but it sure is breathing heavy. Fall is here. Get thee ready for pumpkins and candy and leaves and all that other happy stuff. The Crypt Shakedown has been out for a week now, and the user reviews are pouring in. I love it. If you finish and you dig it, be sure to leave reviews at Audible, Amazon, and Goodreads. Those five-star hits and positive comments really help the Siglerism effort. A new audio-only product is coming your way. It's called Druden. It is an original feature-length horror script turned into a full-cast audio drama by our pals over at Graphic Audio. It releases on October 31st. Hey, wait a minute. That's Halloween, when all the horror stuff comes out. Yes, it does, sir. It will be available from Audible and at graphicaudio.net. You can see the cover art and read the synopsis at scottsigler.com slash druden. Now, let's focus on Iowa Typhoon Part 2. Kevin and Martha were ready to enjoy their golden years, but before they did, they took a trip to see Kevin's brother Bobby and Bobby's family in Fenders Point, Iowa. Kevin's niece isn't there, and Bobby seemed to barely remember her, which he explained away with the cryptic comment, You know, Kevin, accidents happen. When a storm threatens, Bobby's family locks down the house and gets heavily armed. Kevin and Martha have seen enough, and they want out. And now, the conclusion of Iowa Typhoon. I was more than a little concerned, both why he needed that much security and how I hadn't noticed the locks earlier. I also hadn't noticed the guns that lay in parallel on the kitchen table, although since then I've learned we keep them in the hall closet. One was a nasty-looking shotgun, and the other was some kind of hunter's rifle with a thick black scope mounted on top. Several boxes of shells sat by each one. Bobby, I asked him quietly, what are you doing? He turned and looked at me quizzically, as if I were stupid. Locking up. Forecast says there's a storm coming. I realized I was holding Martha's hand very tightly, and I relaxed my grip. 
Well, could you unlock the door? I asked him. Martha and I want to get on the road. Oh, you don't want to go out, Bobby said. You don't want to get caught outside on a day like this. His eyes flashed. The little light inside him was gone, replaced by something just as powerful but much darker. A ratcheting, clicking sound distracted me, and I turned my eyes to the kitchen table, where Bobby Jr. was loading the shotgun. His hair dangled in his face, but I could still see his eyes glittering with that same darkness I'd seen in his father. A sneer crossed his lips. His teeth showed slightly. He looked like a wild animal, like a predator. You fucking bitch! A tiny voice screamed in the living room. Martha and I turned to a sight that made us think, well, I guess we didn't know what to think. Susan was tying little Victor to a chair. The ropes she used were coarse and fibrous and brown. A trickle of blood ran down his foot from his ankle, where the tight ropes cut through his skin. Victor pulled at them, trying to get away. His right hand was free, and he tried to claw at his mother's eyes, fingers pointed like little talons. You fucking cunt, little Victor said. It sounded so surreal to hear such a harsh word erupt from a ten-year-old mouth. Well, Susan, she was having none of it. She brought her left hand up in a vicious straight jab, rocking little Victor's blonde head back. Not a slap, mind you, a jab, like the boxers do. Blood poured from his nose. As he blinked away the pain, she tied his arm down tight, the chorus rope digging deeply into his young pink skin. Breathing through the dripping blood, he started making little animal noises. His eyes were full of death and hate. I remember turning to look at my brother, who didn't seem the least bit concerned that his wife was smacking his son around, tying him to a chair. Oh, don't worry about Vic, my brother said with a grin, as if this kind of thing happened every day. He gets a little uppity when the typhoons come. We lost Vicky during a typhoon. I think he acts like this because they were twins and he's still so close to her. The typhoons affect everyone a little differently anyway. We just tie him down and he's fine when the storm passes. I felt as if I'd been tossed into an insane asylum, or that loonies had come and spirited my brother and his family away and replaced them with other loonies that looked just like them. I remember speaking very quietly. Martha took a step behind me, pressed right up against my back. Bobby, I said, we want to leave. Now. I stared into his deep black eyes with conviction. He looked so thick with evil. If I hadn't been the older brother, used to bossing him around, his superior for so many years, I doubt I could have met his gaze at all. I didn't know what was going on, and at that moment, I didn't care. All I cared about was getting Martha out of there. There were loaded weapons in the house, and people who, at least as I saw it then, seemed a bit less than stable. I recommend against that, Kevy Webby. I really do, Bobby said. He used a name he hadn't used since we were kids, and he wanted to irritate me. I looked him straight in the eye. I didn't have to say anything. He knew when his older brother was serious. Okie dokie, Kevy Webby, Bobby said with a sneer, turning to unlock the ten thick deadbolts. It's your funeral. He finished unlocking the door, but he didn't open it. Junior, bring the shotgun and cover your Uncle Kevin and Aunt Martha until they get out to their car. But Dad... Bobby Jr. said in a protesting teen's voice. It hasn't even started thundering yet. There's no lightning. I know, son, but we don't want to take any chances with family. Just do what I ask you. Bobby Jr. picked up the shotgun and perched himself with his back to the edge of the door, commando style, 
waiting for his father to open it up. Martha and I just stood there with our bags hanging heavy from our hands, mouths agape at the psychotic surrealism before us. Go, my brother shouted, and he opened the door quickly as Junior jumped outside, shotgun leveled against whatever unknown threat might be hiding in their driveway. Well, I stood still for only a second, I remember, before thinking that this might be our only chance to get out of there alive. I ran for the door, dragging Martha behind me. We each held only one bag. Luggage and clothing didn't concern us at the time. We just wanted to get the hell away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. We got to the car, tossed the bags in the trunk, and jumped inside. We wouldn't have looked back, except that the front of the car pointed towards the house. As I started up the car, we took one last look. My brother's face peeked out from the front door. My bulky nephew perched like a shock trooper, his eyes slowly scanning the front yard, the gleaming black barrel of the shotgun following his gaze. I backed out of that driveway with squealing tires and the smell of burned rubber. I ground the gears trying to find first. We drove away. Only an hour ago, you'd have called the street cozy or quaint. Now, dark storm clouds darked across the sky. The street seemed trapped in a perpetual purple twilight. Wind whipped up out of nowhere, tearing at trees and scattering healthy leaves and little waves and whirlwinds. That's when the first blast of thunder rocked the car. It was on us just that quickly, that storm. Or should I say that typhoon? That's what we call them around here, you know. Oh, I told you that before, haven't I? Sorry. We shot away from that house like a bat out of hell, and for once Martha didn't tell me to drive slowly and watch out for kids. You know, when I think about it, if we hadn't done all that kissing while we packed, we might have made it. If we hadn't been so in love at that very moment, we would have made it to the door before Bobby locked it, before Junior started loading the arsenal, before Susan punched little Victor the devil child in the nose. We almost made it to the main road leaving town when the first lightning blast erupted in the sky. I remember it, because it wasn't white. It was purple, but a deep, glowing, angry purple, as if the lightning bolt was pure electric amethyst. I'm sure that sounds a trifle flowery, but it's hard to describe. I wish you were from here. Then I wouldn't have to explain it. Anyway, that first lightning blast was a doozy. I remember it blinded me. 
afterimages of the purple glow flashed in front of my eyes as I drove the car off the road and into a ditch. We both had our seatbelts on, so neither of us were hurt, but the car wasn't going anywhere on its own. In retrospect, it might have been better for Martha if she just died in the crash. My vision finally cleared up, and I asked Martha if she was injured. She was shaken up, but fine. The rain came down at that very second, not in a drizzle, mind you, but in big buckets, splashing at the window like we were parked in New Orleans during a hurricane. The wind shook us, as if the hand of God were playing with one of those matchbox cars that Victor likes so much. He's a good boy most of the time. I want you to know that. Except, of course, when it rains. We sat there, looking at each other, trying to calm down and come to grips with the bizarre situation when the lightning came again. Not a little single flash this time, but a big fireworks display of purple blasts. It lit up the car's interior like a strobe light. Those flashes, they affected me. They flashed in my brain. I could see them with my mind as well as my eyes. I know it sounds weird, but that's what anybody from here will tell you. Those flashes pulsed in my brain over and over again, over and over, but fast, like it all happened in a fraction of a second. That's when the accident happened, when the purple lightning flashed in my brain. No gradual change, mind you, but an instantaneous thing. Bam, there I was. The lightning affects everybody a little different, I suppose. Some respond more than others. I turned to Martha. I felt different. Incredible. Alive. High as a kite, whatever you want to call it, I felt like I was in touch with a part of me that I'd lost years ago. Perhaps lost before I was even born. Which makes no sense, but that's the way it is. Something lost for thousands of years. I looked at her for the last time. She saw my eyes, and suddenly she was afraid, terrified. I can't say I blame her, but we were married for over 20 years, so that reaction surprised me to say the least. She was a smart woman, as I've told you before, and she didn't bother with all that screaming hullabaloo you always see in the movies. She just went for the door. She opened it, and rain instantly soaked her, That's how hard it was coming down, but that's as far as she got. I grabbed her by her hair and pulled her back in. I know I pulled her hard, because a clump of bloody hair came off into my hand. The good Lord just doesn't make bodies with durability in mind. She fell back into the seat and tried to get up right away to get out of the car. She wasn't going anywhere. I grabbed her forehead and slammed her back against the headrest. She tried to pull my hand away, but she was a small woman and she didn't have much strength. I, on the other hand, I felt stronger than I'd ever felt in my life. I pinned her head to the headrest, leaned forward, and locked my teeth around her throat. My first bite did the trick, I think, but I kept going at it anyway. Daddy always told Bobby and I that if you're going to do something, do it right. Her hot blood squirted all over my face and ran down my chest. Boy, but did she have a lot of blood. Like there was a faucet in her neck or something. She kicked and struggled. Really represented herself well for a little 120-pound woman. Made me proud of her, she did. But in the end, she died. And we all have to move on, because accidents happen. What do you look so scared for? Well, sure, it's a frightening story, but you've got nothing to be worried about. Don't see any storm clouds out there, do you? So just relax and let me finish. I remember getting out of the car and walking back to Bobby's house, which was only a few blocks away. 
The wind whipped at me and I was shivering and soaked to the bone. The rain washed Martha's blood from my face, although the redness still stained my white shirt. The lightning burst came again and again. A little boy, he was about ten, I think, he had an accident too. I saw him in the street, his little thumbs pushing into the eyes of a Dalmatian puppy that yelped over and over again with pitiful intensity. Well, what can you do? Dogs have accidents too, you know. The little boy was so fixated on his dog, he never heard me coming. That dog kicked and jumped, but the boy had him firmly. You know, to this day, I'm more saddened about the death of that puppy than I am about that little boy. Is that wrong? I know it's not the way I should think, but there it is anyways. The little boy saw me at the end, but it was too late, and I was on him. I grabbed his head with both hands and kneed him in the face. I remember this crunching noise. really sounded a lot like ripping a head of lettuce in half. I heard it even through the thunder and the rain and the wind. His treatment of the dog inspired me, so I poked the boy's eyes out with my thumbs. He squirmed, but he didn't cry. Even as I blinded him, as blood and jelly-like goo ran out of his sockets and under my hands, he tried to attack me. His parents would have been proud. Right up until the point where I put him in a headlock and threw him from side to side as hard as I could, until I heard this, this snap. He kept fighting. See this scar in the back of my hand? That's from his little nails. Some kid, eh? What a little trooper he was. I made it back to Bobby's place. Luckily, it was between bursts of lightning, so they just let me in. Junior blasted someone with a shotgun as I ran into the house. Apparently, a man was chasing me, would have had me in another few seconds. I remember Junior screaming, How do you like me now, motherfucker? when he pulled that trigger. He must have shot the man six times. It was messy cleaning that up the next morning. A very messy accident. The man had one of those big fireman axes. That's not surprising, since the next morning we identified what was left of him as Frank Dresnick, who was a volunteer firefighter. Old Frank will be missed, I assure you. Everyone said he was a really nice guy. Well, after the storm died down, I felt just fine. Right as rain. Better than I'd ever felt. I was a little concerned about Martha and about the little boy, but Bobby told me that accidents happen. Don't worry about it, he told me, and I could hear the love and concern in his voice. We've all been caught outside in the rain before. Typhoons come up so often you can't always be prepared. It's happened to all of us. The whole family nodded, smiling at me with that wonderful glow back inside them yet again. They were all so understanding. After all, it was only an accident, you know, and they support me. I am family, after all. I felt so damn good after that storm, and hell, I still feel that way, that I never did leave Fender's Point. Maybe if Martha hadn't had that accident, we would have left, even after the storm. Martha and I would have seen America, driven right out to the West Coast and flown back home, uh, to... Where the hell did I say I was from again? You have been listening to Blood is Red, Volume 1 of the Color Collection series of short story anthologies written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author. For more information on Scott, please visit scottsigler.com. Blood is Red was produced by Empty Set Entertainment. 
Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is Dead Silence by the composer Vazya Sakal. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.